their occupancy went from you know 90% when we went under contract to 75%. Um, so the the day our, our due deal or the day our money was supposed to go hard, they were at 75%. And you know, we, we told them drop the price um, or extend due diligence for another or extend our um, effective due diligence period for another month so you guys can get the occupancy up or we're walking. And they chose right, the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dream Catchers podcast. I've got the great pleasure of having Brian Briscoe with me today. Brian was out in L.A. last weekend attending a multifamily investing event. He was out, you were with uh, Rod Khalif out there, right? Yeah, yeah, I hit the Rodcliffe uh, multifamily boot camp event. Um, you know, Sheraton Hotel next to LAX. It was, it was a great weekend. You know, a lot of people there. I, I, th- I think uh, I didn't count, but he said there was six hundred of us. Um, but yeah, great, great event. It's always good to be in the room with a bunch of people who have the the same, you know, kind of investment mindset as you do. So, yeah, wonderful event. Great, great. So, Brian, if I'm not mistaken, you're up in the D.C. area. You work at the Pentagon, and you're getting ready to transition out into this multifamily thing full time, right? That's the plan, you know. Um, you know, and in, in, in a lot of ways, I've kind of burned the ships, you know. Um, you know, I've, I've told everybody I'm going to retire, and I'm not going to look at another option. You know, I'm not going to look at another job. Um, you know, it, it's just one of those that in my mind, anything else is failure, you know. Um, you know, no, no disrespect to people who do this, but there, there's a lot of people in my position who, you know, walk out of the Pentagon wearing, wearing a uniform one day, retire and walk back into the Pentagon the next day in a business suit, you know, either as a, a DOD civilian or as a contractor, you know, and, and, and to me, you know, I, I just said that's, to me, that is failure because, you know, my, my dreams are quite a bit bigger than, you know, getting another paycheck, you know, and, and keep on doing what I'm doing. So, um, yeah, burn, burn the, burn the boats, the shoreline. Here we go. So I know you're connected with Michael Blank and, you know, that was the title of my episode on his podcast, Burn the Ships. So burn the Ships. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's interesting that you use that choice, choice of words on, introducing yourself. So won't you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today? All right. So um, born and raised in, in Utah. Um, haven't lived there since, you know, 2001-ish, but uh, um, wanted to be a math professor for a long time. So graduated high school, started school at the University of Utah and, you know, um, majored in math. Um, took a little break from that to do uh, a mission for my church. Um, went to, to Chile for two years. Um, came back and uh, resumed um, my my studies. Um, got a bachelor's degree, got a master's degree, and uh, started applying to PhD programs. 
um, you know, and somewhere along the line, you know, I looked at all of my math professors and, you know, a lot of them were just socially awkward. You know, a lot of them were, you know, had, you know, hundred pound brains, you know, absolutely brilliant people, you know, but I started thinking, I don't want to be like them, you know, <laughs> and, and in my mind, all of a sudden I had an epiphany just a moment of clarity where I thought, if I keep on doing what they're doing, I'm going to become like they are. Right. You know, and that scared me. It was just like, oh my gosh, you know? So I still wanted to be a math professor. Um, I just decided I needed to do something else, you know? And, and that something else for me ended up being the Marine Corps Reserves, you know? So it was, it was something where, you know, something where I wasn't, I mean, you still exercise your brain, but it was something that could develop other areas of my life, you know? Um, so got into the reserves, um, you know, moved to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, lived in St. Paul, I actually went to school in Minneapolis. Um, and, and while I was there, the World Trade Center went down, you know, so here I am, a Marine reservist, World Trade Center goes down. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to deploy, you know, and, and every reserve unit in the, in the nation was thinking, we're going to deploy soon. Um, I thought, if I'm going to deploy, I might as well take it into my hands. You know, I might as well do it on my terms and on my schedule. And I went active duty. Um, so what I didn't know at the time is that I would be active duty for the next, you know, um, you know, it's been 18 and a half years now, but, uh, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm about uh, 18 months from retirement, um, with, with a, with a full 20 year career in the Marine Corps. So, you know, that, that's what got me into the Marine Corps. Um, there, there's, you know, a lot of things I, I liked about the Marine Corps and, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not saying I gave up on my dream to be a math professor. It's just, you know, my, my dream changed in, in that, that aspect, you know, three to four or five years in the Marine Corps, I kind of realized that, yeah, you know, maybe I didn't want to be, maybe, maybe I wasn't as passionate about that as I thought. But, uh, so anyway, along the lines, I, um, you know, picked up a couple of books about finances, you know, rich dad, poor dad, you know, it's, it's very cliche, but, uh, I, that's definitely a book that, uh, um, that impacted me. Um, so I made a goal to, to buy an investment property every year. Um, now that worked for the first two years. Um, and then year three, when I, when I go to start buying, buying properties, the banks are like, you got a single income. You really don't make that much. And you already have two mortgages, you know, <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, I kind of put that dream on hold for a little bit, um, you know, just said, okay, well, I'll, I'll resume this later when I can figure out the, the lending piece. Um, anyway, fast forward several years, um, decided to get back into it. Um, but uh, I discovered multifamily, you know, I, I discovered, uh, you know, podcasts, you know, Rod Cleef and Michael Blanc, those two podcasts were, you know, kind of my bread and butter. Um, add Joe Fairless to the mix. Those, those were the three podcasts that I listened to you know, as often as I could, you know, um, and started getting the bug, um, started attending events, started attending the meetups, um, you know, and things took off from there, you know, met a couple of people that could be really good partners. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, long story short, you know, we were, we're, we're sitting now with 88 units, uh, you know, about five, $5.2 million worth of apartment buildings, um, that we currently manage. Um, and another 80 under contract. So, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the brief synopsis, the, the two minute story. 
That's beautiful. So how'd you find your partners? Like you said, you met a few people along the way, but Mm -hmm. how'd you decide that, hey, these are guys that I should get into bed with and get married to? Because I mean, when you form a partnership, that's what you're doing. Yeah, you know, and you know, we've got uh, um, exactly that. I mean, when you you buy an apartment with, with, you know, a five or a six or an eight year hold, yeah, your your partners are going to be with you for all that time. So um, I was very reluctant as far as partners go, you know, um, I, I was in, you know, the Michael Blanc's network and you know, he, he's got uh, what's, what he calls a dealmaker mastermind, which is just a forum, you know, an online forum that uses the Slack app um, where you can, you can associate with other people. You can post your deals in there and um, you know, people can review it. So, you know, I met a guy named Eric Shirley in there. Um, and what, what caught my attention was his, his area code. He had an 803 area code, um, which is, you know, Columbia, South Carolina. That's, that's where my wife grew up. So, you know, started talking to him. And uh, anyway, a um, couple weeks later, we realized that we were actually working on the same deal, underwriting the same deal, ready to put offers in the same deal. Um, so I texted him and said, hey, just, just so you know, we're, we're competing on this one. And that text turned into a phone call and the phone call ended up with, let's try to partner on one deal, you know, and that's, that's all I was ready for at the time, you know? So we, we compared notes. Um, anyway, that, that one deal didn't pan out. You know, we couldn't meet uh, the seller's number. Um, and a couple of weeks later, you know, we both found something else to look at, you know? And so ended up another phone call. Um, so after, after a couple of months of, of working together, we decided that anything in the Carolinas, we, we would try to tackle together. Um, finally got one under contract, uh, 55 units in Spartanburg, South Carolina. You know, we started assembling, um, the team to be able to get that together. Um, now what I, what I forgot to mention is, is Eric had already partnered with a guy named Brian Mallon. Um, you know, so, so when I partnered with Eric, I partnered with the team, um, you know, and once again, up front, I, w- I was reluctant until I started getting to know um, the two of them a lot better. Um, but anyway, to to round out the team, we, we brought in a guy named Todd Butler, um, you know, and we, we started doing weekly Zoom calls um, together. We started, uh, you know, exchanging emails, and we, you know, and uh, we we all decided to go to Michael Blanc's big event in Dallas together, you know, and uh, after spending a lot of time on the the phone with these guys, you know, over zoom calls and, you know, in person a couple of times, you know, I, I really started liking them. Um, we have the same mindset. We have the same goals. We had the same time frame. Um, you know, we're about the same spot in our careers. Um, and we, we ended up, uh, deciding to, to form a company, which is, is four Oaks capital. So it was, it was a slow process. Um, you know, and, I think they suggested it a little bit before I was ready and I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, this, this feels right. This is, this is, this is a good thing. It's interesting. You call that a slow process. Uh, how long have that, would you say that process took? Uh, probably from the first time I contacted Eric until we formed the company, you know, four or five months. Yeah. I, yeah. I consider that extremely fast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> True, true. I mean, I guess everything's relative, but, yeah. uh, um, you know, for, for me, I, I slowly got, got onto the idea, but, uh, 
you know, we, we've been together. Um, we've all been been together for about a year now, and uh, you know, I, I still think they're 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 three incredible guys, and uh, still very fortunate. Um, I feel fortunate to be part of them. Awesome. So it took you four or five months to get the partnership together. You told me you got 88 doors in the portfolio and another 80 under contract. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did that take? Sounds like you guys are rocking and rolling, man. You know, um, yeah, it, it, first one came under contract um, April last year. You know, that, that was 55 units. Um, you know, and that, that there's something about having closed on a deal that makes your, your next deal just all the more easier, you know, um, law of the first deal, law of the first deal. You know, that's what Michael Blanc always says, law of the first deal, you know, and, um, you know, at, when, when the close, closing on the first deal was, was in sight and we were, you know, a couple, you know, maybe, maybe three, four five weeks away, you know, we started thinking, Hey, we start looking for what's next, you know? So, um, I'll tell you, it was so much easier. I mean, so much easier to be able to call brokers up and say, you know, hey, we've already raised, you know, $1.3, $1.4 million. We're going to be closing on this apartment, um, this apartment complex in, in Spartanburg. And what do you got? You know, so, you know, the, the conversation with brokers prior to that was um, you know, <laughs> a little more difficult, you know, um, and they didn't take us seriously. A lot of them just didn't take us seriously. They're like, okay, yeah, well, I'll put you in my email list, but I'm not going to talk to you. Um, so, I mean, end of the day, we had several brokers send us things. Um, and, and what was crazy is uh, we actually got under contract for three different apartment buildings in, in one week. Um, you know, we, we, yeah, we, we were putting LOIs out um, in our, our, you know, our connect, our batting average, I guess, was, was pretty low. We were, you know, you know, we were getting, you know, one counter every, you know, eight to 10 LOIs that we put out. And, you know, we put three LOIs, three LOIs out in, you know, like a two week period. And they all came back as, you know, signed contracts, you know, just like, or signed LOIs. And we're just like, well, you know, I remember keep on saying it's a great problem to have, you know, three, three under contracts. So yeah, it just went quick. Um, <laughs> okay. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Cause you're not talking about 200 and $300,000 deals. So yeah. What do you do when you got three <laughs> LOIs and the earnest money checks are due and well, we, we, we started, you know, um, calling people we knew, um, you know, started doing due diligence first. I mean, that, that was kind of the first step. Um, you know, through the due diligence process, um, we decided that one of them wasn't going to pan out. Um, you know, it was not quite in the condition that was advertised. You know, they, they said it was a 40-unit deal. Um, and we were told that, you know, like 25 of the units had been renovated, you know. And after walking through... I couldn't tell you which 25 had been renovated. Oh no. You can't you know, tell the difference between the classic and the deluxe. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, there, there was probably, you know, 10 that I could say, yes, this has been renovated recently, you know, and there was probably five that I can say this was renovated in the last year. But, uh, um, you know, when, when we started pulling the string on that one, um, it's the ones they had renovated since they had owned the place and they'd owned it for like eight or 10 years, you know? So, yeah, they, they renovated 25, but some of them were still 10 year old renovations. So, um, not only that, but, uh, 
their occupancy went from you know 90% when we went under contract to 75%. Um, so the the day our our due deal or the day our money was supposed to go hard, they were at 75%, and you know we we told them drop the price um, or extend due diligence for another or extend our um, effective due diligence period for another month so you guys can get the occupancy up or we're walking and they chose to let us walk so that ended up being you know the best deal you do is sometimes when you don't um you know it i i was the nice thing is we we were we were able to pick and choose you know we, we had three under contract um you know so that that was like a 1.9 million dollar um contract on that one um we closed on a 33 unit which was you know also a, a which is a really good deal um and then the one we have in our contract right now was was one that we that that was that was the third one so um and we're, we're still still working on that one um, so are you syndicating all of these or joint venturing and how are you guys structuring your deals uh so far they, they've all been syndications um you know if, if we find the right partners you know joint venture is is definitely on the table um but uh, so far our syndication model is, is what we're using so it's always interesting in this space something i consider less than five million to syndicate how are you guys handling like the ppm fees and still being able to make it work uh, well i mean the ppm is something you got to do i mean you right. just got to do it um i mean we the the 33 unit um you know, we bought that for a song. Um, we actually paid less for the 33 unit than the owner did in 2004 when he bought it. Ouch. You know? So um, the the PPM expense ended up being, you know, two and a half percent of the purchase price, you know. So you just, you have to suck it up and do it because you, you look at what happens if you don't, what happens if things go south. Right. You know, and not doing the PPM, not doing the SEC filings you know, could potentially end with, you know, large fines. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's just not, not an option I want to, to ever explore. So yeah, <laughs> we, we, we just do it is, is the answer. We, we, so, we plan for it and we do it. Did you have to pay a buy side broker too? Uh, what? A buy side broker. Oh yeah. Uh, so the, the, on, on those two deals, there was no buy side broker on the one we're doing now there is. So, okay. Um, and it's just one of those, you, you calculate everything in, you know, as, as you're doing your analysis, you know, you know, that, uh, um, you know, you know, that your, your SEC attorney is going to cost, you know, ballpark, you know, 12 to $15,000, you know? And so as you're doing analysis, you just, you just put that in as one of the, one of the closing costs. Um, and if the deal works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, that that's to me that the PPM fee is, is the non-negotiable part of, of doing business. Got it. And are you, are you good with, well, uh, talk, talk, tell me a little bit about your strategy on it. Is it just going, raise the rents? Like what, what was the problem with the property and why are you, why'd you guys see it as an opportunity to force appreciation? So the e easiest one is, is the one we closed in December. It's a, a 33 unit and there are 13 vacant units. Um, you know, the owner just didn't, didn't do a lot to it, to keep it up. Um, it's in Columbia, South Carolina. And I mean, every, every state has certain habitability laws. Um, in Columbia, you don't have to supply a fridge as a, as a landlord. 
and you don't have to supply a stove as a landlord. So the units didn't come with fridges and stoves. Okay. And it's a C-class unit for, you know, workforce people. So, you know, you're, you're talking somebody who's on, you know, uh, a very low wage job and you're, you're marketing an apartment and it's, oh, by the way, you have to bring a fridge in and you have to bring a stove in, you know? So anyway, there, there was just a lot of vacancies there. Um, you know, the area is a, a straight up C-class area. Um, there, there's things, you know, to the left and to the right that are, you know, um, you know, at 90% occupancy rates. So, so part of the problem there was the owner just didn't, you know, didn't put effort into, you know, giving the tenants what they need. Um, there, there was also no air conditioning in it and Columbia gets really hot in the summertime. So, you know, um, we, we budgeted, you know, to, we're fixing up the units. We're obviously going to put appliances in every unit. Um, you know, and right now we're looking at, uh, you know, the difference between, you know, cost and central air, which is, you know, going to be a lot, um, versus window units, you know? So if, if we can at least get window units in there, um, you know, once we're, we're once we get the, the estimates back and we closed a month ago, once we get the estimates back on the, on the central air conditioning, you know, we'll, we'll determine which direction we go, but, uh, you know, we're, we're going to make it so a tenant wants to live there, you know, show up. Okay. Fridge check, stove check, air conditioning check, you know, um, you know, we're gonna make it pretty too. I mean, um, we got siding on, on, you know, budgeted for, for new siding, you know, for, for all the buildings, um, new asphalt, you know, new windows and all the trim and, uh, you know, laminate flooring on the inside. So, you know, we're, we're, we're going to take it and we're going to make it into nice C class instead of, you know, kind of crappy C class. Yeah. No question. So what gives you the confidence to do a multi-million dollar deal for your first one? You know, um, I, I did go with uh, the mentorship with, with the Michael Blanc program. Um, that, that was definitely part of it. I think, I think what really gave me the confidence um, was starting to attend the events, you know, starting to attend, you know, RIA's um, local meetups and like the big Michael Blanc events and seeing other people do it, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll, I'll tell you there, there's some people that I saw in the marketplace doing what I wanted to do that I was just like, if he can do it, Oh my gosh, you know. Come on, Brian. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, it was just like, um, I'm, I'm not going to say who, where, or how, but the first meetup I went to, there there was a guy that gave a present, presentation on, you know, the last deal he closed. And when you started asking him questions, I mean, he didn't know. I mean, he's like, oh, somebody else in the deal took care of that. Oh, yeah, that's that wasn't what I did. So, uh, someone else was doing that. Yeah. You know, so, so what is it, you, I mean, what does it you say you do here? You know, so, and that was just kind of like one of those little, you know, one of many little watershed moments. It's like, if, if you can close on, you know, a $4 million property, I can close on a $4 million property, but uh, um, I wanted to do it right. You know, so, you know, yeah. I, I did, I did educate myself, you know, Michael Blanc's got an amazing program, you know, um, a lot, a lot of people do, there, there's a lot of programs out there. Um, but, uh, you know, ended up, uh, getting into the mentorship program. So, um, had an amazing mentor and, you know, a lot of the, you know, every time I had questions, you know, I had them on speed dial, you know, pick up the phone. Hey, Josh, I got a question about X. I got a question about Y. He'd, he'd over, he'd look over my underwriting, 
Um, you know, he's, he's the one that gave me the, the LOI template to use. You know, he gave me the purchase and sales agreement template to, to use and, uh, you know, referrals to a lot of his people, you know, so he referred me to the, his insurance guy. He referred me to his title people. He referred me to, you know, everybody that he trusted. Um, so, I mean, that, that definitely helped having, having a mentor or ha having somebody who's been there, done that, um, in my corner really, really helped out. So I won't ask you to, to disclose the exact cost, but is that a $500 investment, a thousand dollar investment? Um, it, it's, uh, most of the coaching programs are somewhere between 20 and 30,000. Um, you know, and there, there's different levels of coaching, you know, my, mine came with a private coach. I mean, I think, uh, the group coaching ones that I've seen are all a little less, but, uh, um, you know, if you remember those single family houses I, I started out with, you know, we, we sold those, um, with the intent of, you know, rolling the money into multifamily. So, you know, from the sale of that, you know, I, I was sitting on, you know, some money and, you know, really what was going through my mind is I've got to make sure I do this right. You know, right. um, you know, so I burned the ships, but I also, you know, Invested in education as you yeah. should. I mean, you're, you're, you're going into a multi-million dollar business. Yeah. You might want to invest a little bit of money in education to make sure you don't crash and burn. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I thought it was worth it. Um, you know, um, you know, I'm Michael Blanc also interviewed me on his podcast. I know you were on his recently, but, uh, you know, the thing I kept on telling, kept on telling him was, you know, it, it really accelerated everything I did, you know, yeah. um, could I have done it by myself? Yeah, probably. Eventually. Um, I mean, I would have bought something. Um, but I, I think I, you know, that I think I would have made more mistakes. Um, and I think I would have been, I would have gone a lot smaller, you know, um, had I not done that, you know, Brian Briscoe would probably own eight units in like Idaho or something. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so that was the other thing that was jumped out. I mean, I feel like that's like a 12 hour ride from where you live to where your complex mm -hmm. is. So what gives you the confidence to invest so far away? My wife grew up in South Carolina. Um, we have family there. Uh, so it's, it's actually about seven hours from, from where I am down there. So okay. it's not, it's not bad. Um, there's a, a direct flight from, you know, Dulles to Greenville Spartanburg. Um, there's a direct flight from, Reagan to Columbia, you know, so I've got three major airports really quickly. I mean, if I, if I left, if I had a flight left my house right now, I could, I could be on site in, you know, three and a half hours. Nice. So, um, you know, it, and if it's planned out, you know, and I, I want to drive down, you know, it takes, you know, about a half a day to drive. I can wake up early in the morning and have an appointment scheduled at, at 1 PM. So it's, it's, uh, you know, farther than some people want to go, but it's not, uh, not terrible. And I retire in a year and a half and, you know, Columbia, uh, South Carolina is high on the list of where we're looking. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that, that pointed there. We're familiar with the Carolinas. You know, we've, like I said, my wife grew up in South Carolina, lots of relatives there. We've lived in North Carolina before. Um, you know, so it's, it's really not that big of a stretch if you, if you look at, you know, background and what our future plans are. Hey guys, back in 2016, me and the team decided to formalize Dreamcatchers as an organization that can help people achieve their wildest dreams. If this is you, 
Please visit our website at dreamshouldbereal.com in order to find out the details of our services and how we can help you become a dream catcher. Talk to you soon. So in your partnership, what's your primary role for the team? Um, you know, our, our roles have kind of shifted over, over time. You know, right, right now, I'm um, my title director of operations. I'm doing a lot of the asset management. Um, really where I come in, you know, Eric, uh, Eric Shirley's our um, director of acquisitions. So he's the one that's going out looking for all the deals, you know, and you know, he probably sifts through, you know, eight or 10 deals before he sends me one, you know, and I'm, I'm the second set of eyes that goes over each deal, you know, I've got to manage it, you know, so if I don't like the deal, you know, um, so I, you know, I give thumbs up, thumbs down, but really, really what I'm doing is I'm asking him a ton of questions. Hey, did you think of this? Did you think of that? Hey, when, you know, I'm, I'm just verifying all of his assumptions because there's a lot of assumptions that go into purchasing, um, to modeling the, the projections, you know, how did you get your rent assumptions? You know, do you really think we can get an extra hundred dollars on the raises? You know, what about taxes? You know, did you, you know, and you know, Eric and I've been doing this together for, for a year now. So, um, you know, he, a lot of times he kind of knows what I'm going to ask and he's like, yep, yep. I did that. I knew you're going to ask that, but uh, so so that, that's that's the first touch point on a property, um, and then once we get it under contract, you know, I'm I'm the lead on due diligence. You know, once again, I'm going to be managing it, so I'm also going to be the one who goes in and gets you know eyes on everything to know exactly what's going to come into my portfolio. Um, and, and Eric and I, you know, the, the due diligence process mo- mostly falls on you know our shoulders. Um, you know, Brian Mallon will, will come down for some of the, uh, he, he's been down for our due diligence trips before Todd's been in on our due diligence trips too. You know, so it's just a matter of, uh, you know, we, we have kind of a, a um, it's, it's not just like an instant passing the baton. It's, it's, it's a long handover period from, from Eric to me. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of, that's what my role is. And, and now I'm talking with property managers, you know, I'm talking with, you know, renovation timelines, um, trying to keep things on budget and trying to keep, uh, you know, get our, you know, the rent bumps that we're, we're looking for. Awesome. And yeah. so I didn't ask this question, but maybe I should have. So when you were putting your deal together, did you guys do a B exemption or a C exemption? Uh, we do 506 Bs. Okay. So yeah. you got friends and family, maximum yep. of 35 non-accredited investors. Yep. Yep. We, yeah, that's, that's how we do it. We're, um, you know, we're, we're toying with the idea of a 506 C, um, you know, we're, we're kind of in the brand building phase right now. So, um, what, what I'm worried about with the 506 C is, you know, not a lot of people know who four Oaks capital is, you know? Uh, so, you know, if we start advertising four Oaks capital has a deal, people are gonna be like, who's four Oaks capital, you know, and why am I going to invest with them? So, um, I, I think to do a 506 C right, um, we need to have, you know, do, do a lot better at branding and a lot better getting our name out there. So, um, you know, we've, we've ramped up our, our social media campaign. Um, we're starting to put out a lot more content. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, I think a lot of things that go into being successful at a 506 C. I think ultimately we want to kind of land in that 506 C zone. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, there's pros and cons to both, you know, being able to advertise, uh, a deal, you know, wide open, uh, like a 506 C is, you know, um, you know, a definite pro. Um, 
but you know, being able to take in you know investors at you know twenty, thirty, forty thousand a pop, um, if we had to, is is also you know um, uh, a significant pro to uh, going to five hundred six B. So I probably missed this part, or mm-hmm. maybe it was different for you. Uh, how did you get your first deal close? How did you guys get the bank to lend? Was <laughs> who signed? I mean, who had the experience? Oh, we, we brought in um, another amazing person, um, Drew Whitson. Uh, so he's uh, um, one of Michael Blanc's coaches. Um, so we, we had met with, met with him at several of them. Um, he was actually one of the first people I met at um, the first Michael Blanc I, event I went to. And, uh, you know, I talked to him for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, actually, I listened to him for 15, 20 minutes. There was a little circle where people were peppering with questions. And I was just sitting in a circle, you know, I was just like listening. I'm like, he's really sharp, you know, um, and has a lot of experience. So yeah, obviously we, we had to bring somebody in with loan experience to get uh, a Fannie Mae loan. But uh, um, when it came time to, to start shopping for people, you know, he was top of our list and, you know, he graciously accepted. So um, yeah, we're extremely happy to have him on board. Um, you know, and we're looking for future opportunities to partner with him as well. Nice, nice, nice. So for the folks who don't know, if you haven't signed a loan, you mm-hmm. got to have somebody to sign a loan to be in the deal on your first one. And then you can take your talents down south. Yep. <laughs> but that's, that's awesome that, you know, so it sounds like your investment puts you in a place where you got everything you needed in order to close your first deal. Yeah. Yeah, we, we did. Um, you know, there, there, there's a lot of backstory on that one that, uh, you know, is probably enough content for another episode, but, uh, you know, um, I'll just say it wasn't easy. Um, it never um, is. Yeah. I think a lot of people make it seem like it's super easy to get through these things, but yeah. there's always something that comes up. What I mean, was there, your biggest challenge, if you don't mind sharing? Um, the biggest challenge, I, I think, was the change in um, the lending environment. Um, we were trying to close in September of last year. And that's when Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac went through their little crisis. Yeah. You know, so there was a lot of uncertainty, you know, money was already hard in the deal. We had, you know, hundred and something grand, like 120 grand wrapped up in the deal between, um, you know, due, due diligence costs between the loan fees, between earnest money extensions and everything else. You know, we had about $120,000 that was, that we were, we were about to lose. And, um, the lending environment changed, you know, so it went from, you know, mid August to, to early September thinking, yeah, we're going to be able to close. It's going to be awesome to all of a sudden, like, are we even going to get a loan? You know, because Ouch. Fannie and Freddie just started, you know, they, they basically closed the spigot, you know, turned down the, the water flow and they weren't lending because they were, they were sitting right at their federally mandated cap. And, you know, here we were like, um, we kind of have a deal here that we want to close on. Can, can we get a loan now? Um, but anyway, that, that was the biggest challenge was just, just navigating that. Um, was that terrifying or what? A lot of sleepless nights. Um, you know, um, had, had the process lasted for another week or so, I probably would have developed an ulcer or two, but, uh, you know, it, it was, it was definitely stressful. Um, you know, we were, we were on the phone with, you know, everybody we thought could help um, trying to, to figure out how to make that thing work. But, uh, and then the rates dropped. 
<laughs> After we closed, yes. No. Yeah. So we. So I mean, long story short, we went from high threes is what our broker was telling us. We'd get a rate like three point nine five. You know, um, our term sheet was at a three nine one, and we ended up getting a four point nine. But over oh. over a four day period, we we went from three nine to five point one is what happened, you know? So, and of course with, with the debt service ratios in effect, you know, our, our loan proceeds went from 3.3 million to 2.7 million in a four day period, you know, and it, 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 it went up 800,000. Yeah, exactly. Um, like I said, we were on the phone with everybody we knew who we thought we could help, but, uh, um, you know, it, it changed the, it changed the calculus for us as well. Um, you know, and we ended up, uh, going in, we, we had, had the, the needle set at a 75, 25 equity split, you know, GP getting 25 LP getting 75. And what really scared us is when we put the new numbers in, you know, the, the returns went down. We were advertising everybody, you know, a certain level of returns and, you know, changing the loan proceeds and, you know, raising, you know, $600,000 more drop those those numbers significantly so um what we ended up having to do to get it closed not lose investors is just pay ourselves less you know so instead of a 75 25 we just started moving the needle you know what does it look like at 85 15 nope still not good um and we ended up settling on a 90 10 split so um ended up being skinny for us but that's that's basically it's what it still is. closed baby yeah you know so we were able to confidently project the same returns that we brought people into the deal with. I mean, we, we'd already raised, you know, 1.5 million, um, you know, and that ended up being just enough to close. But uh, um, so we, we wanted to keep all the investors in. So we, we got to that point, um, moved the needle to 90, 10. And then, you know, internally we talked to each other and we, we all called, every one of the investors that we brought in, you know, I, I brought in, you know, five or six investors to the, to the game. I picked up the phone and called them and said, Hey, look, this is what happened. We just lost proceeds. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to give you a bigger piece of the pie. Your returns should still be the same. If you want out, you can get out. If you want to stay in, we'd love to have you. And, uh, you know, fortunately we, we kept every single one of our investors. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. 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 Well, so, you know, this is a dream catchers podcast for me, you know, closing that first deal is absolutely catching a dream because it, it creates so many other opportunities for you. Um, now that you've, you know, crossed that finish line, what's the next dream you're most interested in catching? You know, um, I, I say the next dream is, you know, just, just retiring without, dropping um, standard of living. I mean, we've gotten used to, you know, currency, the salary that I'm at right now. Um, you know, my, my retirement pay is going to be a lot less. So, you know, and th this is, this is like a small dream among many dreams, but uh, um, you know, the next, the next one is the next hurdle, I guess, is, is just, um, or the next rung on the dream ladder. Let's put it that way. It, it's just being able to retire and not, you know, not drop in, in standard of living, you know, still be able to do the same things that we're doing now um, at the same level we're doing now. Um, you know, and then ultimately, you know, I, I mentioned that uh, 
you know, I served a mission for my church, you know, a long time ago. Um, I want to do that again. You know, I want to be able to, to retire and not worry about money and then, you know, just go on a mission somewhere else, go help people, you know, wherever, wherever that needs to be, you know, and, and for however, however long that needs to be. So, um, that, that's really what the ultimate end state is, is to be able to have as much time as I want to, to do the things that I want, you know, spend time with family, you know, go on missions, you know, maybe do a little travel, you know, whatever. Time freedom. That's the goal. Yeah, that's it. So I guess the last question I'll ask is if people didn't get anything else from our conversation, what's the one takeaway you want them to have? Um, I, I just say persistence, you know, that there, there's, there's a couple of times in the last, you know, 15, 20 years where, um, I kind of put my dream on the shelf, you know, in, in a lot of ways, you know, just, um, things got busy, you know, I'm active duty at several deployments, you know, moving every two to three years, like, you know, on the dot, um, is just be persistent, you know, make sure you can see that dream. Um, cause there, there were several, you know, first, there are a couple of years where I was working diligently towards it, you know, picking up single families and, and trying to, um, better my situation. But then there was a point to where, you know, my, my focus went into, you know, my, my W2 job, you know, and W2 jobs aren't going to make anybody, you know, wealthy. So yeah, I'd say just, you know, make sure that dream is, is always visible and make sure you're always working towards it. Don't, don't put it on the shelf and let it gather dust. Nice. Nice. Brian, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and guys, if you made it to this point in the episode, you must really enjoy what you're hearing. So do us a favor, share that with a friend uh, give us a written review and a five-star rating so we can help more people get inspired to go chase their dreams. Brian, thanks again for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.